Welcome to episode 37 of The Process. Keep dreaming. Welcome to episode 37 of The Process. I am Quavon Taylor. And I am Monte Martin. Uh, today we have Dr. Eve Hudson on the podcast. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Hudson. Hey, y'all. Thank you for having me. Really, really excited about being here. I've caught a couple episodes. I'm one of them guests. I've listened, so I love what y'all are doing, and I'm really excited to be a part of the process with y'all, like literally. (laughs) (laughs) We we definitely appreciate your support. Um, Just jumping right in, could you tell the listeners uh, where you're from? I am from Charlotte, North Carolina. Charlotte, North Carolina. Charlotte, North Carolina, yep. 704. 704. What is it like growing up in, in Charlotte? You know... I couldn't have answered this question when I was younger because it was just Charlotte, you know. But uh, looking back, Charlotte was a place of great opportunity. It was a place that really helped me become resilient in many ways. Uh, as beautiful of a place it is, as many opportunities it had, I happened to uh, be raised in a single parent household um, after a series of events happened in, in life. and. In spite of, Charlotte still made me. And I say that I was able to go to a really awesome high school, um, actually Harry P. Harding University High, got into a really great program um, there at IBAP. And uh, even before that, just having amazing teachers, having resources that I didn't always know that I had. Uh, You don't appreciate having a pro football team until you go somewhere that there is not one. You don't appreciate having a pro basketball team until you go someplace where there's not one. Um, Even being able to appreciate public transportation, being able to appreciate uh, concerts and exposure to culture and people. So Charlotte was a very impactful place that I took for granted as a child. But as an adult, I'm like, yo, for real? That's that's how you felt? Like you really left and, you know, said you would never go back. And now I want to be back. And I'm just like, I can't get there. But uh, it, it's, it's beautiful and ever growing. So, you know, it was a place that taught me many lessons about life, uh, about hardship and helped me to see that the world was bigger. And I wanted to go see what the rest of it looked like because of how Charlotte exposed me to so many things and people. So. 
yeah. Oh, so you so you mentioned you know you grew up in a single parent household. I grew up in a single parent household also, so I know I know the struggle. Um, you know, what was it like for you growing up in Charlotte in a single parent home? Again, you just don't know how hard it is until you realize how hard it is. My mom used to work three, sometimes four jobs to try to provide for myself and my siblings. And she wasn't present like I wanted her to be like some of my friends' parents were. And again, parents, not just parents. So because of that, uh, as a kid, I resented my mom because she wasn't the mom that was ideal. We didn't get to spend a lot of time together. We didn't talk about boys and and life and sex and all kinds of things like a mother and daughter would do, or at least that's what I thought. But my mom gave us everything we needed and she never let up. Uh, she was very strong, very strong-minded, very outgoing and in ways that as a kid, she just was gone. Uh, and not there and because she wasn't and even because she wasn't with my uh, biological father I used to kind of get mad at her too for making the decisions that she made and to me that decision was well you could have been with him but as a kid you don't always understand the whole story you don't get grown-up stuff because um, being together wasn't something that was possible for them for different circumstances for different reasons I'll say so I just still mind my business to this day <laughs> so uh, even with that I had to step up when I was a kid and I had to be an adult long before I even understood what adulting meant. So by the time I became, you know, grown, grown, life was nothing new to me in the sense of having to take care of myself and take care of bills and being responsible. Uh, at one point I was upset about growing up in a single parent home. Uh, and statistically, you know, being in a single parent home and my mom being low SCS and only having a high school degree, I was supposed to be barefoot and pregnant somewhere and having multiple kids and on welfare. I mean, I am black and I'm a black woman. So the odds were really stacked up against me. And I guess I even go and say, you know, maybe not as much as, you know, it is with black men sometimes, but as a black woman, that gender role definitely comes into play in the professional settings and stuff. So uh, it was challenging growing up and had to be very creative um had to learn how to be very forgiving even because i used to feel like i was i lost my childhood but in older age i realized that it was just preparing me for this moment of my life and it was preparing me for all the things i would face uh, to be responsible to be accountable um, even, you know, as a child until adulthood, that it made me stronger and ready for the path that I didn't even know I was going to be walking on. So no regrets uh, at all. But it was it was it was hard. I used to be mad about not having my biological father in my life because I wanted to go to the, you know, daughter, daddy dances and stuff. But I had a very phenomenal, very, very phenomenal grandfather who to me, that was my dad. Uh, but it doesn't take away from the fact that I still feel like there was something missing sometimes. But still, I had a grandfather who left such an impression that it then became hard for another man to fill his shoes and not saying I ever needed them to, but he set the bar for men in my life. And so even for that, I'm grateful. So I'm learning to be appreciative because I had what I needed, although it wasn't the way I wanted it to look like. I, I can totally understand and identify with that. Um, just thinking, 
you know, even sometimes when we think we're missing some things, that God always fills that void. Um, just thinking, thinking out loud, um, my mom, you know, I, I was raised in a single parent home, uh, just my mom and I, and at the time I resented my mom also. Um, like you said, like, I totally agree. Like my mom wasn't there, worked three jobs. I was a latchkey kid, third, fourth grade, raising mm -hmm. myself. Yeah. And so I didn't know what she was going through until I had kids myself. And I look mm -hmm. back and say, wow, like, how did she do it? You know what how I mean? How did she do it? <laughs> I yes. have so much admiration and respect for my mom now, but at the time I didn't know, I was so young. And so like, how, how did you, you know, wrestle with that? Um, how's your relationship with your mom now, if you care to speak about it? It's so funny that you say that you look now and be like, how did she do that? When I look back at all that I experienced as a child and what my mom did to just hold the pieces of our life together, she became my superhero. Like she became that, that person who I'm just like, I'm so in awe of who you are in spite of the fact that, yeah, I have all this education. Look at what you did. And, and how you made it happen. I don't know how you kept this bed. I don't know how you kept this house, even in those few moments where we had to be apart, I know as a family so that we were all taken care of. It happened, you know, I, I was good. I had what I needed. Um, I didn't miss no meal. I didn't miss school. I didn't I didn't miss out on the things that I needed. I, I had clothes and I didn't always have Jordans and stuff, but I had Jordash and I was good with it. Uh, but even saying that, it's just like my mom is, she is, my my person and i'd even go on to say she's become one of my best friends because as you know things have changed over the years and she's settled down and slowed down you know for a number of reasons she's the person i can call she's who i trust um most you know in so many ways and i'm just i continue to be moved by her and i want to make her proud like before i didn't really care a lot about making her proud because i was like i'm just going to do me i'm doing me i'm worried about myself but now I'm like, I really want to make her proud because of all that she's gone through to even get me here and everything that she suffered um, because of what life brought her, but she still didn't take it out on me. Like my mama didn't really take it out on me. And I say didn't really, she may have had a moment sometime when she was frustrated and stressed out trying to raise three kids, but she never talked to me bad. Um, she may have not been emotionally available, but that's bigger than me as well, you know, was how she was brought up. So I couldn't expect her to be any different than what she knows, right? But she didn't, you know, beat on us. My mom didn't resort to drugs, alcohol and stuff. She just handled her business. And I'm just like, gosh, and all I want to do now is take care of her and give her the best life that I can because she deserves it. And, and she's worthy of it because of what she was able to do with what little she had. Growing up, you know, single parent home um, in North Carolina. Uh, how were were you a good student uh, in school? I, I think I was great. <laughs> I love school. <laughs> I love school. School was a fun place for me because I love to learn. I've always loved to learn. I've um, I love being fascinated by things and knowledge is never ending. So I always wanted to do good in school and. School was a place where I felt accomplished. I was successful in school, made good grades. And even when I didn't make the best grade, maybe I would bring home a C or a B minus or something. Uh, it was just because maybe the subject was really hard, but not because I was a bad student. So I excelled. And then, you know, early on, my grandparents and my aunt really got me because they would pay me for my grades. 
um, I don't think they were doing a bad thing, but they just really rewarded me for the accomplishment and, and continued to encourage me to do well in school. Uh, so with that, I was like, oh, okay, well, cool. I'll take them $25 and I'll keep doing well because I enjoy it anyway. So yeah, school was, was fun and I never saw myself out of school. And that's what's kind of funny about me going as far as I have gone in education. Being a first generation student, you know, how did you get interested in college? Uh, what was that process like? So again, ironic that I've gone as far as I've gone. I love school, never thought school would stop. I thought school was done at high school. <laughs> and so I had some really awesome people, including my grandfather who knew about college, um, just say to me, are you gonna go to college? Keep going, get your education, get as much as you can. And particularly my high school history teacher um, Milton T. Codwell, who uh, was a Central grad, um, you know, God rest his soul. He passed away, I want to say, my junior year of college. But he would sit down and, you know, Miss Blakeney, where are you going to go to school? And I'm like, go to school? I'm good. Like, I don't think I'm going to go to school. Like, it's, I don't know what any of this is and what it means. And I also had a high school counselor and another lady who worked with um, like co-op programs and everybody just kind of had their hand on me. Like, where are you going to school? You're too smart not to go to school. You should be going to school. Where are you going to go to college? And I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. So I was one of those people who took the ACT and SAT real late. Cause I'm just like, I just barely made it. But, but people had to walk me through what that process looked like. Um, I need to get this done and that done and that done. So I just did the best I can do with all of it. Got recommendations and I had, you know, people help me understand I can get uh, applications covered because of my socioeconomic class and my, like I said, my ACT, my, AC, my ACT and my SAT were covered because I had free lunch. So while there was a struggle, it ended up being a benefit to me because I was able to apply to so many schools. So, yeah, between my teachers, uh, my mentors who really had my back and saw the potential in me. And, you know, my grandfather, and I give him a lot of credit for because he just always told me education is the one thing people can't take from you. So you keep going, go as far as you can go. And I went to college and didn't even recognize that a bachelor's wasn't it when I got to college. <laughs> and uh, there's more school that you can that you can get and there's more you can do. So at every stage, at every level of education, there's been somebody to tap me on the shoulder, grab my hand and, and pull me forward because otherwise, I wouldn't have known what the heck I was doing. Uh, but so yeah, grateful for those people in that process of becoming um, an educator and a PhD. So coming from so coming from living at home with your mom, a single parent household, uh, what was the transition like uh, coming from being home to now being in college? Uh, you out on your own now? Uh, it was actually easy for me because I was used to the world and having to be responsible and being independent. The biggest adjustment was getting used to being away from home and missing stuff like the family dinners or I go home for holidays on uh, Thanksgiving, Christmas and you know, kick it and I would take the train. But after a while I started working when I was in school and have my little cell phone bill and buy my clothes and since I'm an HBCU graduate and still though with Shaw still had to be fly. So you know, got to get your hair done, um, got to bring your best. And so with that, I, I acclimated, you know, as best as I could. And after a while, I was kind of like, okay, I'm over, I'm over this, but you know, I'm just really, I was okay with it, but I knew that there was something more out there for me and that college was the right choice 
And it was difficult, um, you know, being very transparent. My mom faced some challenges that made me want to leave school. And mind you, I went to school in a full academic scholarship. I was ready to leave school to go home. As in spite of the relationship that I felt like we lacked, she was still my mom and she was a person that I knew she could depend on. Um, she knew she could depend on me to be able to be there and have her back and support her, like no matter what. Uh, but even in my absence, you know, my grandparents have always been, or I had always been, because you know, my grandfather passed away my second semester of college, but my mom was able to hold her own and she got what she needed. But even for me, it was a process of learning that. And I think it's one of the first times I had to learn that I needed to take care of myself and be concerned with being a responsible adult, but also putting me first and in a way that's not selfish, but if I'm not good, I can't help mom dukes get good. But so even me working, I was still able to send home money every now and then, um, get a little gas here, pay a little bill there, you know, get my sister school pictures, like whatever my mom needed, I could do what I could, but I had to learn how to release that obligation to feel like I had to be home because that was, that was one of those hard things too. It's hard to see mom suffering and you at school yeah. and it like you just having fun, but you're like, nah, like I'm out here trying to make better of my life so I can have all the things that I didn't have growing up. So, yeah, so but it was cool though because I was ready to be grown and I saw some of my classmates falling apart, trying to be grown, trying to figure stuff out, buying groceries and all that. And I'm like, oh, I knew to this. <laughs> That's what I did. You talked about taking care of yourself first, even though, you know, sometimes you have family members that are going through different things. Mm-hmm. And immediately what came to my head is when you get on the airplane, they tell you to put your mask on first before you put on the person next to you. Yes. Um, and so that, that really resonated with me just because, I mean, even Quay, even Quay, you know, uh, playing football, you know, and had to stop and take care of his grandmother. Like, what, what could you speak to for students who are kind of straddling that fence of like, you know, I need to do this for me, but I also, you know, it's family at home that needs me, you know what I mean? Like, what could you, could you give some advice to that type of situation? Funny uh, brought this up because it makes me think automatically of something my mom said to me before I moved to Mississippi some years ago, right out of undergrad. Um, we were t- talking and I got a job I was going to leave in. My mom said, you know, you can worry about me all day, but you've been to college, you've gotten your degree, you're making a life for yourself that is better than what I've ever had. So don't you worry about me because you can't do what you need to do if you're worried about me. But she said that I'm going to be fine. I'm going to figure things out. I'm grown. But you've got to live your life because I've lived mine. And that has been in my head, just embedded in my head like crazy for years. Because in spite of how hard it's gotten at home, what I've had to trust is she made it four years without me being home. She can make another four years and not saying I don't want to be home and I'm neglecting my family. I ain't trying to be there. But my mom told me if something happened to me. You can't stop what you're doing and put your life on hold because you won't be where you need to be if you worried about me. So fortunately, I have a mom that is unselfish and somebody who saw me soaring and did not want to get in the way of that, no matter what that meant for her for her baby to be gone. And y'all, I was in Mississippi for like six and a half years. So I didn't just go and come back. That wasn't the plan, you know, to 
well, that was a plan to go and maybe come back or it wouldn't be, be that long that I'd be there, but um, it happened that way. And so in that, she floors as a person, but she's also an adult and she's grown. And what would she do if I was dead? <laughs> you know, mm. so mm. from that perspective, people always figure it out. But as adults, we also have to let adults figure stuff out too. And my mom was grown and she was teaching me how to be grown and to handle my business. And since then, she's always told me, Denise, because Denise is my middle name, Denise, handle your business, handle your business. Don't worry about us what we got going on here, handle your business, because if you ain't good and something happened to us, don't ha- you shouldn't have any regrets. So that's what that is. That's what that's been um, for me to not feel guilt. And as long as my mama good with it and my grandma, I'm good. <laughs> like, oh, like I'm good with everybody else. Like, because those are the two, like, I love my family, but those two are the ones that, um, how do we say it? You know, matriarchs, Yeah. you know, mamas, I mean, for my immediate family, that would be my mom, my grandma's a matriarch of the family though, but they, they understand it on the level that I'm grateful for. Cause there's some people who's like, I know family like, don't go and don't go and you this, this, that. But everybody's grown and everybody's got choices to make. And everybody's responsible for themselves at the end of the day. And in spite of, you know, I think that guilt of needing to be home and got to be home, we can make those decisions. I'm not saying not to, but fortunately, my family was one that was like, you got to go get it. Somebody's got to do it. And I'm grateful for that to this day. Powerful. Um, while at Shaw University, what did you end up studying? Mass communications with a concentration in journalism. So I initially thought I was going to be a radio host. <laughs> and I was like, I'm sick of this broadcast stuff. So I was like, I love writing. Let me take on journalism and um, realize I don't like this either. So, But I finished it because I wasn't trying to stay past four years. Uh, but if I were to go back, I mean, no regrets, but I probably would have taken up sociology because I love understanding people. So something we talked about, Amante, just thinking about people and why they do what they do and studying them in their natural habitat. So I'm I'm always fascinated by people and how they move and and social things. But thankful for my podcast, I still scratch that itch to be a radio host. Um, I got my own show. So I'm like, hey, winning. (laughs) What's your definition of a winner? What's the winner's mentality? The winner's mentality is one that, I'm not gonna say you don't see failure but failure is just a lesson learned, but you just keep going. What it means to be a winner is to be committed to figuring it out because somebody can win a race, but it's not that they won the race just because they were good. They put a lot of practice into getting there and they remained true to what they were doing to come out on the other side with whatever glory they had hoped to get from that thing that they were pursuing. Winner's not always the fastest person or the smartest person. A lot of times winners are the people who just literally like just see it through and whatever it is they got going on. So I said business owners are winners, not because they make a million dollars, but because they figured out a system of process work working that helps them sustain their life or do what they gotta do. Podcast host, they're winning if they got anybody listening to their show. <laughs> you know, like and they're they keep coming back in spite of how challenging it can be to continue to do what they're doing as podcast hosts. Um, mothers are winning every day when they tired and burnt out and don't feel like getting up and, and doing anything for the day, but they pull through anyway because they love 
um, their children, they love their family, they love their jobs, whatever it is, if they're single, don't have no kids, it's, it's just not quitting, that's winning. So you talked about choices and decision-making, how, pivot, how pivotal was making the, the right choice and decision for you becoming a doctor now having, and obtaining your PhD? Ooh, you know how they say um, life changes in an instant. And that one decision to go for the doctorate for me has been the difference between, for, for me at least, the difference between being happy and being um, good. Like, you know, some people are like, oh, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. Like, I'm actually happy and I'm good because of the opportunities that I believe the doctorate um, has enabled for me and being able to go in spaces, especially as a black woman and as a first generation college graduate to have gone so far without having had the direction from like family and um, to have, uh, I was fortunate, I only paid for two of my classes and all three of my degrees. So it showed me that I was resilient and willing to do what it takes to win and do it within a, a comfortable, I guess, space because sometimes we have to do things that makes us uncomfortable temporarily to do something uh, greater long-term. And I see how that PhD even translates into how I am now as an entrepreneur and being able to have that, that staying power, being able to think critically, but also using the degree, though having come out of higher education to go back in higher education spaces and still have the the academic credential and experience to go into institutions of higher learning and talk to students and understand the impact of my work and to be able to communicate that um, to these individuals has been profound for me. So I'm still able to move and shake in a way in an education that I believe without the doctor, I wouldn't have been able to do because uh, I understand it different and I want ex I experienced it different. I studied, I researched it, I read it. I am all things because of the doctorate, but as a first gen talking to other first gens about making it and doing it, ultimately I am the example. And I say that in a way that you know, ain't meant to be like toot toot beep beep, but it's talking to students and trying to tell them to do something. And I've always been of a mind that you can't dip, tell me to do something you haven't done. So now to be able to speak from experience is something that um, is absolutely necessary, but helpful uh, for me. So it's been fun, um, very fun. And again, I didn't realize how large the impact until being where I am now. How was it getting through your PhD program and what did you study? Getting through my, my PhD was, it was hard. It was definitely hard and for a number of reasons beyond the academic rigor. Uh, I was working part-time at least because I was a graduate assistant and I was also tasked to take 12 credit hours per semester. So in grad school, y'all know a full load is nine hours and I was taking 12, so I was taking an overload. And here I am away from home, um, figuring out this still graduate student thing, PhD thing, because it was only a year in my master's degree, but the PhD I knew was like I was leveling up. Uh, my family is another time zone. But I say what helped me in all of that was being in a place where 
I had the support that I needed because of the peers and the adoptive family that I made when I was in Mississippi. Um, financially, it was very difficult because again, I didn't have that financial support from my family and didn't call home to ask for it because I already knew what it was. Like, if you already know people maybe in the financial situations, like you, when you're used to being the one to contribute, how does that work out? So for a little while of my experience, I was actually on food stamps um, to just make things happen. And I got to a place where being with roommates is not something that, that was uh, preferable. So right after my master's, I ended up getting an apartment by myself. And again, it just kind of kept getting harder because now I got all these bills to pay by myself, but I'm also not in a place where I'm making the most money either. So what that looked like, but I figured it out, you know, and I was not too proud to get what I needed in terms of like that financial support um, with food stamps or managing my money a certain way. But it also meant I wasn't able to come home often either. So I may have come home once or twice a year when I was in my PhD program, because it just wasn't feasible for me to do, do it any other way. But I have no regrets long-term because I know that that's what was necessary for the time of my life. Were you, were you married when you did, you did your PhD? I was not married when I got my PhD or when I finished it, yes. When I started it, no. I had actually just, let me see. I met my husband in 2010. So actually I was going to grad school. Um, we crossed paths and we started dating. So yeah, by the time I got into the program, I was dating, but not married. And that's actually one of the reasons I stayed in Mississippi because I got into school and I met this guy who was fine. So I had <laughs> some some good initiative, uh, some good motive. Um, but to that point, still dating and going through school. And he had ended up getting into a PhD program as well. So we were both in school at the same time and dating. And before either of us finished, we got engaged and married at the end. But I think that end piece is kind of the kicker because we really helped each other push through. Yeah. I was going to, my next, my question I wanted to ask was, you know, how is it managing trying to, you know, because once you go to grad school, it's a, another level of discovering how you learn, how you think about different situations. And um, how was it that discovery phase, but also coupled with sustaining a relationship? Because I remember when I first started Purdue, um, I just had my son, my wife and I, we were married. And, you know, I'm, I'm trying to write a thesis. I'm trying to go to class. I'm also trying to learn how to be a father and a husband at the same time. Just juggling these different hats, you know. Could you speak to that? Like, what was it like juggling those hats and, and sustaining, like, a healthy relationship with someone? That was a lot of life stress that <laughs> you yeah. had going on, brother. Um, whew. I'm like, I'm about to ask you for some advice. Yeah. <laughs> really, it's having some someone who is outgoing as you are and who is goal-driven as you are and as supportive as you'll be for them that helped make the difference for me. So my husband now, again, who was just my boo thing, uh, was in school, so we both had motivation, we both had schedules, and he never took away from that. He was never somebody who um, needed me be up under him all the time. He's always like, go get it, go get it, because <laughs> back from I like one of our very first conversations before we even started dating, I was talking about meeting somebody I can build an empire with, right? Being funny, being all dreamy, and I need me a king, blah, 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 blah. But uh, he ended up being that person. Like, so we understood we were building together. And the only way to 
get to whatever the dream would be was for me to be ambitious to go for what I wanted to go for and the same for him. Uh, but it was also nice to have him because my husband was really my rock through my program. And my mom ended up being definitely one of my rocks too. Like how funny how that came around in the end because when it came to just having company, again, having family, having balance, hey, let's just go on a date. Let's go out of town. Let's go here for the holidays. Uh, my husband was a person who initiated a lot of that. And he gave me a lot, forward, a, little, a lot to look forward to on the weekends as well. And that's just doing nothing and chilling. But if we needed to do something like, let's get it done. Or, hey, let's meet on campus in between classes and let's catch, you know, some dinner or something before you go to your class and I go to mine. So a lot of good energy. And we ended up going um, into the same program uh, at different times. So we ended up having different experiences. But it was still nice to be able to compare and contrast what we were experiencing. Um, he is a black male. Me is a black woman. Uh, and being able to encourage each other through it. Like, you got this, um, I believe in you. And actually, <laughs> he did this really, really cute thing for one of our anniversaries. Don't ask me which one, because we've been together that long now. But he bought me a portfolio, you know, that you put your stuff in for your interviews, or like research papers and kind of stuff. It's like, got a black zipper. Yeah. But he had my name engraved on it as Dr. Evangeline D. Blakeney. Um, so long before I guess he thought about marrying me, although he may have just playing, you know, being funny, not dropping hints. Yeah. So um, he got me this this portfolio and he told me um, for that anniversary, he's like, I believe in you and what you're doing and I'm proud of you. And I want you to be able to own this one day and it really be yours. So work toward it. And that's when I was like, oh, this the one. <laughs> you know, oh, like, yeah. There's a lot of things that I'm like, this the one because he loved me being an empowered woman still loves me being an empowered woman so he's never been uh that i can tell intimidated or you know shy about me being a woman that's been independent and strong and that's something i've appreciated so it's been a good experience to have him because otherwise i probably been a little bit lonely <laughs> too and just kind of like i'm ready to go home but he was always something you know he's always been some not just something but someone um who i've always always been able to depend on and especially just knowing he got my back and if nobody else showed up, my husband showed up. Um, be it awards or banquets or speeches or dinners or anything, I could call on him and he would show up. Even if he had to be late, he was going to come. And he set a standard um, that I was like, yo, I love this, like this bay for life. <laughs> life partner. Life partner, you're right. So once you graduated with your PhD, did you go straight into your field? or immediately going into being an entrepreneur? I actually was in my field when I graduated. So I have always been, had always been in the field. So when I crossed the stage, I was working in higher education. And I was actually back in Raleigh at the time, working at my alma mater in a first year experience program. And I had a very straight and narrow path about what I'd become, who I'd be. I thought I'd be a college president one day and something happened and that something happened i just had an experience i was like there's got to be more than this and this ain't what i want so i was fortunate to have graduated and had opportunities um because i was already in it and all i had to do was move up but for who i was becoming and what i was experiencing it was easier and not even easier necessarily it was better for me to move out and so that's what i did i moved out of education so i say i'm um educator, entrepreneur, something like that. Because at my core, education will never go anywhere. 
but entrepreneurship just is the better path for me at this point in my life. So how was that transition just from going from a quote unquote secure job to, you know, pursuing what you feel as though is your purpose? So, you know, um, you talk about the adversity in your life and something that you've had to overcome. Maybe this would be a good time to bring that up because that was probably one of the most, has been one of the most challenging times of my life. And I guess because it's still so new that I still feel it um, a little bit different. I mean, another being when I lost my grandfather, but more recently was leaving my job in higher education because it was a loss of identity in so many ways. It was a, a loss of belonging in so many ways. And it was the fear of what lied ahead because I was stepping outside of the only thing I knew and that was education. So ironically to end up back in it, but more or less um, being what um, brought in to, to do events and to do stuff, I'm still tied to education. But for many reasons, uh, I was not well for some time, emotionally, physically, spiritually, I was not in a good place. I was not, um, I wasn't happy. I was dealing with a lot of anxiety and panic attacks, even at work, um, health stuff that even the doctors were like, this can't be anything but stress. I had a lot going on, especially when I moved back to North Carolina. I mean, I was back after being gone for six and a half years and I was having to make friends again and find my place again and understand you know, where I belonged in my family even, cause I mean, I've missed so many holidays and family dinners and stuff. Like it's the sense of belonging that I no longer had, you know, like I did even when I was an undergrad, it was coming back and working at my alma mater and transitioning from being Lil Eve or the college student to being a grown ass woman and getting people to see like I'm grown. So we on first name basis now and they still want to do the miss and missus thing. So I was like, well, I mean, since now technically it's Dr. Hudson, make something happen. I uh, got married when I came back uh, again and it just had moved to Raleigh. So I had experienced many, many life transitions. And I think it all just kind of caught up with me in a way. And I was going and going and working like so much. Like I said, I was working seven days a week. You know, I say I work seven days a week now, but like then I was like legit working like six. And some people say that was a choice, but the way things were set up, in my opinion, there was a lot of work to be done and I was the one person to have to do it. And I was teaching students um, in addition to being an administrator, it was just too much. So I had to do something because I knew um, for me, it was either going to burn me out, wear me out, have me somewhere laid up in a box, um, six feet under, or I was going to take a chance and just take care of me. So getting back to the taking care of me thing, I decided to leave my job. And it wasn't until I left and spent a few months just, you know, in myself or in myself thinking, like, you know, being with myself, being reflective. I tried to be super wife too, getting up, cooking breakfast and ironing clothes. I missed up when I did that. <laughs> he got real excited about it. I'm like, ah, oh, this ain't gonna last because it just wasn't <laughs> me. And because I've always been a work I love working. I love feeling accomplished in work. I love being career driven. And that's, you know, part of the reason why kids haven't been a really big part of the story yet, or even a part of the story. I want to be very candid because I've just like seen success in my life being, you know, an awesome career, but also being able to make, you know, great impact, which I know people can do with kids, but again, it's, I helped raise my brother and sister. So I was like, I ain't doing that again. 
So um, <laughs> kind of like fast forwarding to leave that space and for it to be all that I know or all that I knew, I did not know how I would find myself again and how I would heal. And the day I submitted my resignation, grandmother passed away. And um, I didn't even know about it until Monday. And the mentor that I talked to um, at the time, you know, we was like, you know, people people leaving here left and right. So you either gonna, you know, get out of here or you gonna be leaving this world too. And we kind of joked about how, how we laughed and two weeks later she died. Wow. And um, so here I am, like, I never had the relationship with my paternal grandmother. And so again, there's a lot of gaps to be filled. And in my head, I'm thinking like, my gosh, are you serious? And so I was still mourning even with that. And then my mentor passed away, um, which, you know, then kind of led to the following year where, you know, more stuff happened. And then we moved and more stuff happened. And uh, was it last year? Yeah, this time last year. Um, I mean, just family friends passing away, motorcycle accident, had a cousin and a great uncle die the same day last year, like wow. two hours apart of each other. And one of my brother's um, best friends, he was murdered like several months before that. Then a family neighbor, not a family neighbor, but a neighbor, you know, longtime neighbor passed away. So I was like, in all of this, I'm trying to build a business. And me and my husband, we move. And, you know, at one point his grandmother's gotten sick. And at one point his mom gets sick. And, you know, so they're fine, they're well, you know, giving y'all a little business. He don't like me talking about his business, but giving you a concept of being in this space has been very challenging (laughs) because like I said you know not is it just me being in business but people see the highlights on social media but they don't really know what you're going through and because they don't know that they tend to only want to clap 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 and you like my but my god my cousin just died I actually had um an event that I had on the books um last year and because my cousin had you know he got killed and I was like okay well you know I'll be able to make this event. I'll just go to Charlotte and make it a day trip. And I thought his funeral was going to be one day. The funeral ended up being another day and I had to cancel on these people. So even from a financial perspective, um, I chose my family over the money because I got to go to this funeral. Like you just don't, come on, it's my cousin, it's blood. But to even tell them that and then to never get rebooked, like, you know, I'm reaching out, wanting to follow up and they, but I, I mean, like two days before, I'm like, look, my aunt just told me what day this was going to be. This just happened. And that's not, I'm not going to show you proof that I was a part of the family, you know, like, come on, that's crazy. But and they didn't ask for it, but they never reached back out to rehire me. But even so, people don't think about stuff like that, um, depending on what your business model looks like. So this, when I say the adversity has definitely been present in my life um, over the past few years, but not because uh, I've done anything wrong. So a lot of times people think adversity is because they did something wrong. Because I was like, dang, maybe I just should at least stay in my job, at least you know my paycheck could be steady but I would be unhappy and I wouldn't be able to show up in the ways that I've been able to I wouldn't be able to grieve in the ways that I've needed to some mornings I just just haven't wanted to get up and I just need that morning and rather than having to drive myself to work and force myself to be around people and to be happy and still dealing with anxiety and depression myself much much better than what it was like you know a few years ago but still in a place where like I gotta take care of me so taking care of me means being on this path Uh, So again, sharing those things because people tend to glamorize entrepreneurs and entrepreneurship and small businesses and all the other stuff. But we got to deal with a lot because if we not together to take care of our business, our business can't take care of us. 
And that's what I say to people, well, you know, you shouldn't work in your business. I've always wanted to be a motivational speaker. That's what I am. So I am my business and just happens to be that what I chose for my business is books not selling. If I'm not teaching a course or something, then my money is tied to me showing up. Now, if I like to change that one day, like, yeah, but right now I'm living my dream and me living my dream is showing up and being present with people and helping them navigate their own lives. So yeah, got real long winded on that. Um, But yeah, but just thinking about adversity. So what does that look like and how do you overcome it? Um, Have you ever, if I can give you a picture, it's kind of like being at the start of a mountain climb because we talk about climbing mountains and you climb in this mountain you climb in this mountain and then it rains and you climb in this mountain you climb in this mountain then all of a sudden this big wind comes out of nowhere and then you get halfway up the mountain and you know you're making progress because you can look back and be like well i'm not on the ground anymore like i'm pretty high up but you're climbing this mountain and then next thing you know the sun just comes out and it's beaming like crazy and you forgot your sunscreen and now you're about to burn up and it then got hot and you ain't got as much water as you thought you had. And then you're like, well, I just got to keep going. That's what, to me, adversity is like. It's like climbing a mountain. It's your mountain. And you know you can climb this mountain. But on the way up, stuff just keeps happening. When you get to the top and you see all the land and all the trees and the rivers, you are excited and you almost forget that you sunburned and you forget that you've been rained on so you probably a little stink because you still damp mm-hmm. and you forget that you know it that your feet hurt and that you got cut on your hands from a rock and you forget that you ain't got that much water left because it's being able to appreciate being at the top and then you know that you got to go back down the mountain so on the way back down everything that happened on the way up is going to happen down and you actually may trip and fall so you're probably going to get hurt but either way you're going to get back up and keep going again that's how I could paint a picture of what adversity looks like and how you overcome it. You just keep going. And, but if every up, there's a down, and for every down, there's up again, it's got to keep going. I felt that one. <laughs> that was for me because uh, two semesters ago, uh, my, my wife's dad died, then her brother died in a motorcycle accident, and then her grandmother died, which her grandmother was the one helping us around here, you know, watching my son and everything mm. like that while we were in school. And so that was really tough for us. And, and that was my first semester also, TA and teaching classes, you know, doing class and research and, mm-hmm. you know. So I, my, my question is, you know, how did you find peace, you know, during that time? Um, because as, as different things come, you can kind of adjust. Because for me, I didn't know I needed help until I needed help, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? And so how did you find peace in your situation? Let me go back and say this real quick. Um, in April, my mentor from college, another one of my mentors from college, so the two that helped me together while I was in school, one passed away August 2016, the other one died in April, two days before his birthday. Wow. So for me as somebody, you know, I talk about again, so much about being first generation, I've been heavily reliant on mentors. So the one who got me to college, the one that got me the scholarship, the one that paid me, like, you know, he, I was his work study student. So the three really big people in my life to help me get through it all even writing me letters to get to my phd program all died and the again the latest one being april and i was just like holy crap are you serious you say how do you find peace for me uh, one of the other things that's been really hard 
And the reason I talk a lot about adulting now and what it means to just navigate adulthood in a lot of my, my talks with especially college students is nobody told me it was going to be like this. Yeah. Nobody told me that it was going to hurt this bad. Nobody told me to expect it. And you can't expect it, right? You just, you just can't because life is just life is just life. And we're just living. So something that, you know, we talked about in my table, you know, a time before is learning now that there's a difference between me being responsible and me being in control. Mm. And it has been recently, like really recently, like the past few weeks recently that I've come to embrace the differences. And the difference is being control, you you got you're driving the car and you you're in control and it's got to happen this way, A, B, C. It's got to happen this way. It's got to happen the way I said it was going to happen. That's being in control. That's stressful. But being responsible is I'm driving in the car. I'm being a responsible person. I'm switching lanes, using my turn and signal. I'm going to speed limit. But if it just happens to rain that hydroplane, that ain't my fault. It's learning that you couldn't have gotten around that if that was just what was going to happen. So... I can't control that other people have passed. I can't control that these things have happened, but I'm responsible for going to get their therapy. I'm responsible for taking time to reflect and think about how these things have affected me. I am responsible for my healing and I'm also responsible for the release of the pain. And that release looks like being okay with not being okay when I'm not okay. It means being able to journal. I'm a journaler. Being able to journal through it, being able to pick up the phone and call a friend. Um, I couldn't help what happened even if I had wanted to. My grandmother got sick uh, recently. And uh, again, just, so another thing happened. Uh, mental passed away. July, my grandmother has a stroke. September, she has another one. And this one takes her like, it didn't take her out, but it was like, oh crap, is she gonna make it? It's that bad. And honestly, as much as I wanted to go home, I was dealing with some stuff on my own and did not go home for a month, even after. And uh, what I realized though, and it was you know through a conversation with somebody really close to me is, I could have gone home sooner, but me going home wasn't going to change what had happened. She wasn't gonna get better because I was sitting there looking in her face. She wasn't gonna get up and walk because I had come down there and sat. Now, if it would have made a difference in just being present, yeah. But my grandma's the kind of person where I know I can call her and talk to her. And if I call and talk to her every day, if I'm checking in, she knows I'm present. So sometimes being present, always being physically present is being present and being there in a way that they can expect from me, right? So anyway, um, in all these things that have been happening, we sit back in life and we try to play all the cards so that things go exactly the way we want them to. And that would be nice, but that's just not how life works. The only thing we can do is to be responsible for who we are and for the decisions that we make as best as we can and hope that things work out the way we want to. But just in case they don't, that's just the way it was supposed to happen. And then we adjust and we keep it moving. And with that, there are a lot of things that I'm not tripping about now. It's a lot of peace that I found, um, even with the deaths of my loved ones, because there was nothing I could have done. Situation was beyond me. And if I keep trying to take blame for it, thinking I should have done something, I should have been home, I should have talked to them more, I should have called them more, I should have done this, there was nothing I could do. So it was just time 
And I thank God for the time that I had with those people. I thank God for the opportunities that I continue to have, for the life that I have, for the breath in my body. I pray for a very long life. But I know that at the end of the day, we can try to control all the factors and stress out about things that's not working out the way we want them to. But what God says is supposed to be, it's going to be. We can't, we can't challenge that. We can't change it. Through all the trials and tribulations you have been through, what does trust the process mean to you? <sighs> trust the process really means to let go. It means to kind of like what I was just saying, it means to not try to control what's happening, but to just let it be. Um, to live the experiences, to do the best you can each and every day of your life. It means to know that even if you don't know how things are going to work out, it's always going to work yourself out. Look, I didn't say the word to myself today, but, uh, but it's, it's being able to have um, uncertainty uh, in moments where you just want to be certain, but it's being okay with just sitting with it, sitting with yourself, sitting with the moment and saying all is well. It's good. I'm good. I'm okay. And and because and, a lot of times we, again, even when we think we're gonna be good, we end up not being good. But a lot of times we think we're not gonna be good. God is like, check me out, check me out. So I think it's important for us to just let go and let things be, and just keep going. I agree. You gotta let go and let God. Absolutely. So so this transitioning, um, just. Thank you for being so transparent uh, with us. Uh, but what are you involved in today? You know, uh, what is the, the First Gen Lounge, um, your book? Uh, what are some things that you're uh, doing today? Um, the best way I can think to say that is, <laughs> here got my elevator pitch. No. <laughs> I am uh, a motivational speaker, podcast host, and author. And it is my goal to inspire, empower, and uplift first-generation college students and graduates through personal transformation and entrepreneurial development. So I am looking to be the person that I needed uh, when I was growing up through undergraduate and graduate school. And now as an entrepreneur, I'm looking to help teach others how to live their best life, how to be intentional and how to be their most authentic self, um, essentially. So as a first-gen lounge host, I talk to other first-generation college graduates about their experiences being grown, being adults, talking about everything from careers to being transparent to mental health through, you know, starting a business and being the only woman. Um, so many things that we talk about there to being a motivational speaker, definitely pouring into college students. Um, I'm always gunning for the first-generation college students, but I love college students, period. And talking to them about navigating life and overcoming barriers and creating a plan for their life so that they at least have a blueprint for how they want to live or at least an idea of where they want to go helping them you know have some direction then as an author inspirational and self-help um definitely just want people to feel uplifted and people being again college students and graduates uh, to feel good about who they are and what they're going through what they're overcoming to give them some wisdom from the hard lessons that I've learned. I'm actually working on a piece now, I'm hoping to have it released next month, but I'm moving in the direction of doing a little bit more around like um, the journaling, guided journal reflection spaces or reflection space um, to really start helping people do the work of being who they are and showing up in the world the way that 
they know they need to. And so, yeah, in a nutshell, um, that's what I'm after. And my business is one that is uh, social entrepreneurship driven such that uh, part of the proceeds or part of proceeds, like I'm doing a fundraiser, part of my profits, net profits, <laughs> um, are going to go back into helping first generation college students and graduates who are experiencing hardship or, you know, who are in school and need books or capping out for graduation, rent paid, ticket home, um, working to structure that program or structure that in that part of the endeavor um, a lot more. It's just been kind of like on an as needed basis now. And since it ain't all the way out there, people ain't, you know, knocking it down the door too much. Um, but then the other part of it is hiring first generation college students and graduates as well to work um, with my business so that I'm empowering people, not just from the space of, hey, I see you and you cool, but like I'm really trying to like help the people long term. So in the future, you know, I can see me working on many projects and all of them being that it's something to help my first gen folks because we out here and we're going to be okay. And I want people to be able to see a community of people who are like them and know that they're going to be good because somebody helped me. And now I just want to return the favor. I have two questions for you. Um, My first question is, how does it feel um, to be fulfilling your purpose? Mm. And my my follow-up question, I'm sorry, the follow-up question to that is, from your perspective now, what advice would you give the younger Eve? Mm. Are you going to hit me with those today? Um, <laughs> how does it feel to be pursuing my purpose? It's kind of like, and I, and I said this, and I'm not trying to just, you know, take material from other, other podcasts, but it's the best example I have to give you. It's like being able to breathe. You ever have a, a cold or the flu or you see your kid, they sick and they, and dad, and dad, and you know, like, <laughs> what a snots in your nose and stuff. Like, go ahead somewhere. It's kind of like that. Um, to where it's just like, it's just stuffiness. But when you are walking in your purpose, when you are doing the thing you were called to do, it's kind of like walking outside on the first day of spring and you just taking a Claritin and it's just clear and it's beautiful. Um, that's not to say a bee may not come out and try to play. It's not to say that, you know, the pollen won't be nasty looking on the car because there will be things that will happen, but it's just a beautiful sight to see. It's beautiful to feel. The weather's just right. It's just right. Um, and there will be things you know but it is all well and good and if I could tell uh, younger Eve anything I would tell her that everything is going to be alright I didn't believe that for a long time because of the things I've been through in my life um, I've even been sexually abused I've been robbed at gunpoint um, when I was 15 uh, that happened and a lot of things have been very traumatic for me so I didn't always have the greatest self-esteem and I did you know people it's not an excuse I did let some of those um daddy issues I had translated to trying to find love in all the wrong places so I thank God for my husband so much because he he's just who I needed but saying all that to say healing has been a process um I've been scared of a lot of things, of failure, of not making it, whatever making it looks like, not knowing that I would be successful, not even knowing why I would end up and ending up even as in right now, you know, never would have imagined I'd be a doctor for real. Because when I realized I wasn't good in science and chemistry, I let it go. (laughs) I ain't going to be a doctor, not going to happen. But yet here I am. 
and I'm still saving lives. You know, it may not be with medicines and needles, but it's with the power of my voice and it's with the words that I write, it's with the people who I'm able to touch that they can too can touch somebody and then they can touch somebody and they can touch somebody. So I know that, you know, I'm, I'm helping in some kind of way, even if I'm not always fully aware of exactly how that's happening. Um, <clears throat> I said that to say, I, I would tell myself it's gonna be all right. Just keep going, keep putting one foot in front of the other and keep believing that there is something greater. And as long as you do that, you are without fail. Do you have uh, any lasting words that you would like to leave with the listeners? Um, if I could leave any words with you all, what I would say is never doubt who you're supposed to be and what you're supposed to become and never doubt that you are somebody and never forget that this life is yours for the taking. It is yours. You be responsible for it. Don't give anybody else in your life power that they don't deserve, that they don't need to have. And whatever you set your mind to doing, if you just keep trying, you're going to figure it out. Um, and, you know, we talked about it earlier, but definitely trust your process and keep dreaming because dreams are what keep us alive. As long as we're dreaming and fascinated and learning and wandering and wanting for something more, we'll never be bored. We'll keep, we'll keep going and keep trying to figure things out. So do what's right for you and um, everything will work out. Everything will work out. It definitely will. Where can the listeners find you, you know, to reach out? Uh, as far as where you guys can find me, I am on LinkedIn and I am on Instagram, both. If you'll just find me um, at Eve Hudson, PhD. So that is E-V-E-H-U-D-S-O-N-P-H-D. Um, pretty easy to find there. And um, my website, which would be www.thepurposeprofessor.com or www.thefirstgenlounge.com. I got two because they ended up being two different things. So <laughs> yeah, if you connect with me on social media, um, either one, I can very easily get you connected to the website too. So yep, that's it. Thank you so much for your time. And just thank you for your transparency and you know for joining us on the podcast. I um, first heard you on the HBCU podcast. Shout out to the HBCU podcast. Um, and I was just very intrigued by your story because it kind of resonates with, with me and being a PhD student, you know, matriculating through this program. And so mm -hmm. just, I really appreciate it. Nice, thank you so much. And um, to both of you, thank you for being the black men that the world don't appreciate enough. Um, thank you for being outstanding fathers and husbands and, and men, period. Um, that I just wish more people knew about who you guys were, and they will, uh, definitely because you are the examples and you are, you didn't allow the circumstance to become an excuse for why you couldn't be better men in spite of what you've been through. So as a black woman, I salute both of you um, for what you have done to continue to uplift our community and to continue to heal other black men and your, your boys for them to be able to see what's possible. I have no much how have no idea how much I admire y'all for that. So continue to do what you're doing um, and trust your processes as well and know that even when you probably don't feel like it, you're doing an incredible job.
because the fact that you're present and trying is more than half the battle. This concludes episode 37 of The Process. Be sure to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, and to like us on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Spotify. Thank you. They're chanting, trust the process. <laughs> trust the process. Trust the process. I think the main thing for me was trying to decide on who am I and like what I want to be and how I want to be remembered. Like that was my thing. Right? You know, oftentimes I think about like my legacy and like the mark that I want to leave, not only on the industry, but the effect that I want to leave on people. Being a whole human being, going through my obstacles, going through the things that I'm going through. And not to only broadcast these things, but for it to inspire change.